0: Hello, and welcome to Code Red, brought to you by the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education. I'm Christy Hadley, a practicing emergency physician and your host. In each episode, myself and guest interviewers will take you around the world to understand how climate change is affecting people's health, not theoretically or in the future, but today. We will be speaking directly with community members, the health professionals taking care of them, and subject matter experts to make sense of the headlines you've heard about and those you have not. We'll talk about the stories, the science, and the solutions. Climate change is here, and it's a Code Red for humanity. Welcome back, everyone, to Code Red. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Adesh Sendereson. We have another exciting episode for you today, and it's on a topic that I knew almost nothing about before this interview, and that topic is sargasm. Adesh, did you know anything about sargasm before this episode?
1: Absolutely nothing at all. I've never, never come across the term before. What is it?
0: So I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, so sargassum is an algae that lives floating on the top of the ocean. It's an extremely important ecosystem for small fish, sea turtles, and other marine life. But when there's too much of it, it becomes a huge problem.
1: And I know we're going to hear this in the interview that you've had um, with the experts, but what are some of those problems?
0: So you're going to hear more about this. But when there's too much sargassum, it can create this thick blanket on the sea that traps dolphins and other sea mammals below the surface and prevents the sunlight from reaching the ocean floor, depriving coral and other sea plants from essential nutrients. Even the sargassum itself starts to die under its own weight. And really once it washes up to the shore, even more problems start. It starts rapidly to die and decompose. And for humans, major health problems can occur as the sargasm decomposes, and it releases its toxic gas, causing respiratory irritation, watery, itchy eyes, and even vertigo and mental fogginess. The small organisms that live in the algae can also cause itchy, burning rashes when people come in contact with it.
1: Oh my gosh, that's, that sounds terrible. It doesn't sound pleasant at all. So you got to speak with a couple of experts, didn't you?
0: Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to sit down with Dr. Saroj Pachori, and Dr. Norma Patricia Munoz, and speak about the impact of sargasm in Mexico and the Caribbean, why it's so much worse right now, what, and what can be done about it. So Dr. Pachori is a public health specialist and the director of Protect Our Planet, which is an organization that seeks to empower youth participation and advocacy in addressing climate issues of climate change. And Dr. Munoz is a biologist, researcher, and educator with expertise in marine ecosystems, climate change, and sustainable development. So we had a really fantastic discussion that I'm so excited to share with everybody today. I'm joined today by Dr. Suruj Pachori and Dr. Norma Patricia Munoz. Thank you both so much for being here and lending your expertise to us to talk about such an important topic. I know that I knew very little about sarcasm before meeting you both, and I'm sure many of our listeners will be the same. So I really wanna start with the basics. What is sargasm?
2: Well, sargassum is a macroalgae that uh, currently is living in the Sargassum Sea that is located in the North Atlantic Ocean, living there in a very poor uh, environment and is floating in in a circle in that area. But now, because of the climate change, some part of this sargassum is going out from the sea and floating to the south of the Atlantic Ocean. Then that is a big issue because when they're coming down, they're going through the peninsula of um, Spain, then arrives to the, coast, the west coast of Africa, and from there in a circle is coming to Central, uh, South America, Brazil, Venezuela, and from there to the Caribbean region.
0: What are some of the reasons why sargasm is a problem when it arrives?
2: Normally, uh, when the sargassum is floating, it's like uh, you have some strips of sargassum, but sometimes they are, of course, alive. This uh, is a plant, it's an algae that is coming alive and it's floating because they have special bubbles that they are full with air that uh, allow them to, to float. And they are reproducing in a very, very high level. Why? Because when they cross, the, the West Coast of Africa, there you have the watershed of the rivers. And one of the biggest rivers in, in Africa is the Congo River. And what is coming through the rivers is a lot of pollution, a lot of products, a lot of uh, chemicals uh, together with waste that is uh, allowed the sargassum to be in a very rich environment. In uh, the Mexican Caribbean, we have already from uh, 2018 until today, more than 500,000 tons of sargassum.
0: So if I understand this correctly, you have the sargassum that's in the ocean in a nutrient-poor environment floating there in the Sargassum Sea. And then it gets pulled out by the currents and moves along the coast of Africa, where it gets exposed to pollutants and runoff from these large rivers, as well as exposed to really warm water temperatures that give it the perfect nutrient-rich environment. It then grows and grows and grows and then currents bring it to Mexico and other Caribbean countries where it washes up on the beaches. What does a beach look like and feel like when the sarcasm comes?
2: Well, uh, for people who's living on the coast, uh, they don't go. That is very simple. They don't want to go because the smell is very strong. You have two gases that uh, they're product of the decomposition of sargassum. One is uh, ammonia and the other one is uh, hydrogen sulfide. Then the, the hydrogen sulfide particularly uh, smells like a, a rotten egg, like you if you are in the mangroves, that naturally they produce hydrogen sulfide, but in very small amounts. Then it's a very bad smell. People is not going to the beach. But the tourist, for the tourist is horrible because you buy a packet to go to the beautiful beaches, to the blue waters and you arrive you have mountains of sargassum lying on the beaches that you cannot go. Sometimes you have a lot of sargassum floating on the sea in the coastal area. That is a big problem for people there and we are living this situation since 2015.
0: So it really, it sounds like the community has been affected in just so many ways, both tourist and then the local community itself. So Dr. Pachauri, can we get your thoughts on how the health of these communities is being affected and where are we with our knowledge base understanding around this? Well,
3: uh, you know, as just as Norma has explained, that this sargasm, um, when it degenerates, it it lets out these gases, hydrogen sulfide and methane. And they uh, are uh, very bad smelling, but also those as well as the toxins within the sargassum uh, affect the people who are exposed to sargassum in terms of their health. So we are undertaking a, s- a study uh, to look at what is the impact of sargassum on human health and how can we prevent that from happening. And this study is being undertaken in, at the coast of Quentin Qu- 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 in Mexico, and uh, we're we're including a number of target groups that that are being interviewed. These are local communities, coastal communities, fisher folks, tourists, non-government organizations and other people. And what we are doing is, through this qualitative research, we are undertaking in-depth interviews. 65 in-depth interviews and key informant interviews were conducted to assess what is the impact socially, environmentally and health by sargasm and and w- what we have found is that uh, we yet we to analyze the results so we don't have the results but we do have some indication and these people who were interviewed said that they were affected in many different ways health wise one was that they were affected by, uh, by the skin the skin was affected there's irritation on the skin, there's tremendous itching, and then they had respiratory problems they had severe sore throat pain in the throat breathlessness and so on and and then they had problems with the eyes as well they they, there was blurring of vision and so on so there are a number of and and mentally too mental health is also been impacted as a consequence of all this so you know there are We don't have the answers, but we are looking through this research to derive the answers as to what in fact are people suffering from and what is happening in terms of all those stakeholders who are concerned with the management of sargasm and are being constantly exposed to sargasm. And what are the health impacts? And we are, we are actually using the lens of equity, justice and gender to do this research, which is what we do in all cases to, f- to figure out what, what do people know? What is their knowledge? What, is their, what are their attitudes towards sargasm? And then what are the behaviours and practices of the community, of the NGOs, of the government regarding removal of sargasm and so on? And we are hoping that at the end of this study, we will be able to provide evidence, research-based evidence for designing interventions to prevent health impacts of sarcasm, which apparently is unknown at the moment.
0: Such important information and perspectives that you guys are all gathering in this study. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the results from it. Dr. Munoz, who are the people who are most vulnerable to these health impacts from sarcasm?
2: Yeah, well, uh, normally the people, the most affected is the people who is working directly removing the sargassum on the beaches, and they call it sargaceros. There is people that is working without any protection, really any protection. We were uh, on the field, and they are breathing, they are touching this, the, the sargassum, and all the affectation that the Dr. Pachori was talking, they are suffering at this moment at this moment. Second group that is uh, suffering is the people who is working on the coastal area. I mean, on the beaches given touristic services. And in third is the people who is living very close to the beaches. You have a lot of uh, houses that they are in the small areas, in the small communities. They are used to live very close to the, to the sea, very close to the beaches. And that is people that also is suffering. and. I can say that the last group that is uh, suffering, not in that magnitude of health, is the people who's living in land.
0: This must be very challenging for the workers and the citizens who are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. Has this been an issue in the past or has this been happening a lot more recently?
2: We have some uh, articles that they're talking about sargassum since the last century. Then it's not a new. The problem grows with this problem of the climate change and the global warming we know now and since many years ago that 80% of the pollution that you find in the marine waters in the ocean comes from the uh, land sources everything what we do in land everything what we get to the uh, we put on the rivers whatever you put on the rivers sooner or later will go to the coastal area and from there to the marine waters. The level of nutrients that you are having now, of course, that is a problem. You change with the chemical of the waters, you change the currents, and the oscillation of the ocean is changing, and the winds are changing, and the surface temperature is changing. Because now we are talking about, and you recognize, the Sargassum Belt. The Sargassum Belt is located between Africa and South America. The Sargassum Belt is a reality because you can see it with the satellite, you can see the Sargassum Belt now. And it's so huge amount that is producing now there that they are even talking, like I said, about the Sargassum, the second Sargassum Sea. And that will be a huge problem that we will not stop as long as we don't do something.
0: That's such a crucial point to emphasize. That Everything we do on land ends up in our oceans. Is it pesticides, fertilizers, or what in particular is fueling this sargassum growth?
2: Yeah, well, normally the agricultural activity is very important because you put in the river everything. Uh, they use waters that uh, has no treatment at all in small communities are going directly to the rivers. The waste, instead of to send it to, to a place, a special place. If you live in a small community, you put it in the river. You can find uh, some uh, electric equipment in the river. You, can, you cannot imagine the amount of things that they are sending to the rivers. The big problem I want to say is that those nutrients or those elements that they are taking, the sargassum is taking is composed also with heavy metals. And also the temperatures, you know that now we have more stronger, strongest uh, hurricanes, because the surface of the ocean is now going up. That is the problem. We cannot avoid to talk about climate change, to talk about global warming, to talk about all the changes that we made already to the planet, to the biodiversity, to talk about why Sargasso, is becoming a problem.
0: What are some of the ways that individuals or governments can protect themselves and their community from the impacts of sargassum?
2: Yeah, we have other examples in the world. France is one of them. They uh, they work with two macroalgae um, per semester. One is a red algae, the other is a green algae in Roscoff, in the North Atlantic uh, uh, side of uh, France, and they. They collect the macroalgae in the sea. They don't allow the macroalgae to arrive to the coast. But you need to take out the sargassum when it's in the sea. Because even in the sea, suffer the decomposition. It's not because the sea is floating and still floating and still alive. In certain moment, it's dying and it's producing the same gases. But those gases are going into the sediments. In 12 hours, In the sea, when the sargassum dies, in 12 hours, all the heavy metals are going into the sediments. And then you are polluting also, not only the waters, but also the sediments.
0: Dr. Pachori, I'd like to direct the same question to you. What are some of the actions we can take from a public health perspective? There
3: are several things that can be done, but very little really, as, as far as I know, has been attempted seriously to do this, you know. Uh, I think there are some theories, but they have not been actually practically implemented. Now, for example, one of the things that I read up was that in this sargasm, there are certain elements that are positive in the sense that there are chemicals that can help to... Uh, they're like anti-inflammatory drugs, you know, anti-infective drugs. And if those could somehow be extracted from within the sargasm it would be a positive benefit of sargasm you know but this is all very hypothetical at the moment it's theoretical practically speaking the problem is overwhelming and very little really is being done to uh, to to protect the people that are being exposed to this in, to this sargasm and to mitigate the effects of sargasm This is uh, the problem. I think that what we need to do now, since we have some information, not all information, we do have some information which we can act. it's important that we at least begin pilots, if not anything else, to begin to look at what is working, if you do certain interventions, do they work, and if not, what should be done. So I think we're at a stage when, uh, very early stage of action, I would say, but action is needed, I think. Action is needed to, to mitigate the effect of this very difficult problem that we are all facing, and which is overwhelming at the moment and is overcoming us, actually.
0: So in terms of communication and speaking to both public health experts, healthcare experts, and really the public in general, what are some of the most important messages that we should be giving around sarcasm?
3: If people are not informed, they are not going to be able to protect themselves at all. And for that to happen, we need policy advocacy. We need a lot of advocacy around this issue, which, as you just said, very people know anything about. So there's a need for very strong policy advocacy to happen. And for that, we need movements. So one of the movements that's already working in this area is POP, Protect Our Planet movement. And the research that I spoke about and some of the work that Dr. Norma has spoken about was actually undertaken under the umbrella of POP, Protect Our Planet. And these are young people who are very active in the area of climate change overall and could be involved and engaged and are being engaged. The starting point has already happened. We have started doing this, but we need to multiply this effort to uh, upscale this effort greatly through these movements so that people are informed about the problems and how they can be addressed and those who are to address the problems are also informed about the issues at the ground level and what what can and should be done. So policy advocacy with the government, with the major stakeholders, with the researchers and others is absolutely critical at this juncture because there is a total lack of information as you know. And similarly, working with the communities and <clears throat> getting them uh, to understand how they, what the issues are and how they can protect themselves is very important. The research that I spoke about has also been done by Pop, POP, Protect Our Planet, and a lot of other work that Dr. Norma spoke about has also been done by this organization, which is already very active, but I think we need to multiply this this many organizations, other NGOs, uh, other stakeholders who can work both at the ground level as well as with the government to uh, affect this problem.
0: So thank you both so much for taking the time to sit down with us and be on the podcast today, and really sharing your knowledge, expertise, and all the undertakings that you have in dealing with sargasm and speaking about such such an important topic.
1: Christy, that was a really interesting interview. For starters, I had absolutely no idea what sargassum was and how it might affect human health. Listening to that interview, it really struck me how terrible it probably is for the workers who are coming directly into contract with this algae that's washing up in their shores by the ton without any protection. As Dr. Petruari also was saying to you that the health impacts seem very wide ranging.
0: You're completely right. Another thing that I thought was really interesting that we actually had to cut for time was that all of that sargassum, when the workers remove it from the beach, it's actually taken inland to where it sits in landfills. The landfills are mostly unregulated, so the heavy metals from the sargasm end up leaching out into the groundwater. We basically have no studies yet to know what the impact is on health from that contamination. So there's a lot going on.
1: Yeah, there was a lot to take in, but a lot of great learning from that interview. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the results of these studies, which um, Dr. Pachari and Dr. Munoz mentioned, where they're looking at the health impacts of sargasm. I'm
0: glad you learned a lot and I certainly did as well. I wanna thank Dr. Munoz and Dr. Pachori again for their time and expertise. And thank you all for listening. Join us soon for our next episode of Code Red.